morning, Mosaic Church. Wow. And before uh, our first worship gathering, we were singing, we were singing these songs and the words, man, the words to the songs they chose this morning are magnificent. Holy is our God, worthy is the Lamb, with a thousand hallelujahs. There's not enough time, but I've got eternity to try. And, and, and I was praising, or I was trying to praise, but I just felt super disconnected. I don't know if you've ever been in that space where the words are the right words, the posture is the right posture, but your heart just feels disconnected, feels distant. And it just, I, I hated it because I knew these, are, these words are powerful because they're true. Because they speak of the beauties of our God who I'm eternally in debt to. And yet, I don't feel the gratitude that I should feel when I come into uh, understanding of the truth of what he's done. And so I just prayed, God, help me. Help me to realize, help me to connect. And he was kind and he did. But I was just thinking about that. Um, we're, as you can see, obviously, we're in the uh, letter of Second Peter. And we talked about uh, this at the very beginning when you open the introduction uh, to this letter. And it's just a letter about God's grace. And it hit me that Peter, right? Peter is nearing the end of his life. He knows he's got a limited amount of time. Jesus has revealed to him that his days are numbered. And I, and I think, picture him looking back on his life, his three years with Jesus and then the 30 years since then. And him remembering, I can't imagine, how many times did Peter remember the things that Jesus did? I mean, how many times were they seared in his memory over and over? How many times did he tell people the gospel, the good news of Jesus? How many times did he tell the stories of when, uh, you know, Jesus healed his mother-in-law or when Jesus touched the leper or when Jesus um, gave grace to the woman caught in adultery? How many times did Peter retell those stories over and over? I just wonder, were there times when he didn't feel it. But what's so powerful to me is that nearing the end of his life, when he said, I want to use every moment of the time I have left to remind you of these things, that the thing that would be on his mind would be grace. That when Peter looks back at his life, he would say, my life is a life that's been marked by grace. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what that word is, we use that word a lot, grace. Grace simply means gift. Grace is something you get that you don't deserve, that you didn't earn. Think about it this way. Have you ever um, gotten a paycheck from your work and then just went to your boss and said, oh, thank you so much for this kind gift? No, none of you have ever done that because you're like, no, I earned this right? I worked hard for this money. In fact, I deserve more money than this. I need a raise. See, that's not grace. That's something you worked for. That's something you earned. Grace is something you get that's a gift that you did not earn, that you did not deserve, that you did not merit. You did not work for it. And when Peter looks at his life, right? When he looks at these moments, these powerful moments with Jesus, and he looks at the, the, the filling of God's spirit, and he looks at the planting of these churches, and he looks at the gospel increasing and the opportunity that he has had to participate in the building of God's church, the expanding of his kingdom, he thinks, me? 
Me? Why? Why me? Why in the world would you give me the opportunity to get to participate in such extravagant beauties, to see lives changed, to see churches grow, to see men and women discipled? Why, Why me? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You know, we looked at the structure of this letter, and I want to show it to you again. We had this graphic, and, and, and basically what Second Peter is, it's, it's a grace sandwich. Um, it, it really is. We've got grace over here. We've got grace over here. We've got grace in the middle. I mean, that's what it is. Peter begins, he says, I want grace to be multiplied to y'all. You have already been given such incredible amounts of grace. I want God's grace to continue to be multiplied to you. And then he unpacks, he he says, so how should we respond? In light of what God has given to us, the faith that he's given to us, in light of the fact that he created us, he gave us personalities, he gave us bodies, he gave us families, in light of the fact that in spite of us rebelling against him, he made a way for us to be invited into his family, that he gave his life, that God gave Jesus as a gift for us. And Jesus gave his own life as a gift for us, died for our sins, raised to new life so that we could be in his family. How should we now respond? What is a faith response to the extravagant grace of God? And then he says, and look, God's not done. He continues to give grace. He continues to give the gift of community. He gave the gift of the scriptures. Remember, Renaud unpacked this last week. Peter said this. He said, now, we didn't follow um, cleverly devised myths. We didn't make this stuff up. In fact, we, the apostles, we were eyewitnesses of Jesus's majesty. Peter's like, I was there. I saw it. I was there when he said, cast your nets on the other side. And I got so many fish that I couldn't even pull in the net. My nets started to break. I was there. I was there. I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he was transfigured before my eyes, he was, he, he was gleaming in such brightness. I had to look away. I heard the voice of the Father speak. I was there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I was there when he was arrested. He was crucified. I was there when he rose from the grave. I saw it. I experienced it. I touched him. I was with him. And yet, when I look back at the Hebrew scriptures or what we might call the Old Testament, and I look at the prophecies, the over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled perfectly, I'm more convinced by the scriptures than I am from my memories of the experience I had with Jesus. He said, we didn't make this stuff up. We were eyewitnesses. We saw it. And yet I'm more convinced by the word of God, by the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. And then we get into this center section. And in the center section, this is uh, the false teachers. He begins to unpack things about false teachers in chapter two, unpacks God's justice. And there's even grace in the midst of this. We're going to see some of it today, but in the next few weeks, we're going to see it even more and more and more. And then he closes out the letter in a mirrored form of the first chapter where we've got him saying, there are more gifts of God's grace. 
So how do we respond? And then closes the letter by saying, man, I want all of you all to grow in grace. I want grace to continually be multiplied to you and for you to then multiply it out to others. When Peter looks at his life, he says, this is a life saturated by grace. And my hope and my prayer for us this morning is that it wouldn't become so familiar that it doesn't blow us away anymore. That doesn't just shock us that we would be able to even be in this building, that we would be able to be a part of God's family, that we would be able to be with him eternally because God saw fit to give us the most incredible gift of grace. There will be times when you won't feel it, and that's okay. It happens. But I pray that it would be rekindled in our hearts and our minds over and over and over as we remind one another, as we read and we study the scriptures, as we sing praise to Jesus together. Because I think that is what Peter desires for us. Go ahead and grab your Bible. If you have one, um, if you have one of those uh, journals, grab that. We're going to be in, in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to do a little inductive Bible study. Now, before we kind of jump in, I want to show you, our, our graphics team did a really cool thing. I don't know if you, you see this, this graphic behind you, but the, usually we have a static graphic for our uh, message series. But what our team did, and it's so cool, is they made one that's going to move. Because what we talked about is, is throughout the letter, it's a, like an eclipse, right? It's like at the very beginning, it's like grace is bright and shining. But then in the middle, it's almost like the moon has covered the sun and it's hard to see. But even in spite of the fact that when the moon is covering the sun, there's still a ring of light, right? The moon can't even stop all of the sun's light. It can't stop the heat of the sun. That even when things seem dark and it doesn't seem like there's grace because we're talking about false teachers, we're talking about justice and judgment, still God's grace shines through powerfully. And so they came up with this idea that in chapter two, we would have an eclipse. And I think it's so cool. What a great reminder of what's going on here. So chapter two of second Peter, and here's what it says. Uh, we're going to read it together. And then we're going to, we're going to make some circles. We're going to draw some squares. We're going to highlight, we're going to underline some stuff. It's going to be great. Get your pen out, get ready to take some notes. It's going to be fantastic. This is actually, uh, my mom, uh, for her on Mother's Day. She's fantastic. So my dad always taught us to memorize scripture, but my mom, she loved to do inductive Bible study methods. She's actually been teaching inductive Bible study, which is what we're going to do today. She's been teaching it for, for years and years. She, she's incredible. She's amazing. And, and she always uh, loves when, when I get to teach. I'm, I'm her favorite teacher at Mosaic. Um, no, no offense, Renelle. You know, you're at a disadvantage. Uh, she didn't birth you. So, um, I know it is what it is. So, so she's really happy today. Um, but that's what we're going to do. So grab your Bibles. We're going to look at it. Go ahead and show us that first slide. We'll read this scripture together. We'll do the whole thing and we'll go by it piece by piece. Uh, it says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. 
Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. We show us that next slide. Thanks, Daniel. Um, here's a little bit of my notes. We're gonna, you're going to get to see uh, my work. It's like a math problem, but, but I love this. What Peter's doing here is a work of art. It is seriously brilliant. The way that he makes three verses say so much. It's incredible. Now, I put squares around things when I'm studying, around things that should be connected to other things. So words that connect other ideas, I put squares around them so I remind myself, oh yeah, this is connected to something else. So we have this first word, but, which is a conjunction, which is a contrasting word, meaning this, but not this, or not this, but that. And so we just, last week, we looked at the idea that the apostles were being accused of false teachings, of making up the stories of Jesus, making up that he rose from the grave, making uh, up that he did all of these things, right? They were just making it up. That was the accusation against them. And Peter said, no, no, we were eyewitnesses. We were not making up myths, but false prophets also, which is another connective word, also arose among the people of Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter's doing something. He's calling their mind's attention back to something they would be super familiar with. Now, the people that he's writing to, they knew the Hebrew scriptures or what we would call the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They were saturated in the scriptures. So when he says these things, they know exactly what he's talking about. There were a number of false prophets that arose, particularly in the time of the kings. So if you think about 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, uh, some of the major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, right? there are stories about false prophets. And what happened oftentimes with these false prophets is they would think, you know, not many people are hearing from God. And when a prophet speaks, people listen. I want to I wanna be someone who, when I speak, people listen, right? They saw that there was great gain to be had by speaking for God. If they could convince people that they spoke for God, then they could be powerful, they could be popular, they could uh, get wealth, right? They could have a lot of gain. And so these guys would come to the kings and they would tell the kings exactly what the kings wanted to hear. Right? They would say, oh no, I've got a word from God. And it just so happens it's exactly what you want to hear. Because kings who have prophets who speak to them what they don't want to hear, sometimes those prophets' lives don't last very long. Right? So this is what the, these false prophets would do. They would, as Paul says uh, in, in a letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, he says, a time will come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn aside to myths. He said, there's going to be a time, and there was a time as well as Peter says, there's going to be a time when people don't want to listen to sound doctrine because it doesn't accord with what they want to hear. It doesn't accord with their desires. It doesn't make life in their own minds easier for them. They want people to come alongside them and say, hey, do what feels right. Do what's easy. Take the easy path. Don't suffer. Don't endure. Don't, you know, exercise self-control. And that's what these prophets were doing. And so Peter brings our minds back to what was going on in Israel and says, hey, remember this was going on and this is now going on here, right? It, they also arose then 
and now they're arising now. They're false prophets, and now there are false teachers. And they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, as you look at this, this is some notes. And sometimes when you begin to underline and highlight and put squares, sometimes it's helpful. And I think there's some elements that are helpful, but sometimes it just gets too much. And this is one of those verse segments where it's just packed. So I put this into a chart for us. So this is what is being said right here is what is being said by Peter. Here's what he's doing. And it is brilliant. It really is incredible what he's doing. So he unpacks, he's got two major things. He's got what's going on with these false teachers. And then what's, what are the effects? What are the ripple effects of their false teaching? And who are the people being caught up in their vortex? And so he starts and he says, there are people, these false teachers, they're going to secretly or deceptively. See, they're not accidentally saying things that are wrong, right? It's not that they're incorrect. It's not that they're mistaken. It's they are deceptive. They are manipulative. They are intentionally trying to deceive. And so they do it secretly. They come in under the radar. They are secretly. Now, I don't know if you remember back in the Garden of Eden, you've got Adam and Eve, and you've got this being that was walking and then later on crawling on its belly. And it was crafty the most crafty of all the animals, deceptive. I was trying to trick them. And Peter's saying, that's what these false teachers are doing. You may think that it sounds good because they're trying to tickle your ears, tell you what you want to hear, what sounds good, what sounds exciting, what sounds fun, what sounds better, what sounds easy. And yet they're coming in under the radar secretly, deceptively trying to deceive you. And they are bringing in destructive heresies. Now, the reason I put myths here is because earlier, and Peter's trying to connect this, earlier he said, we, the apostles, did not make up cleverly devised myths. It's connected. But these false prophets who said, like, that was their, that was their thing against us. We were making up myths. He's like, no, 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 no. They are. They are bringing in destructive heresies destructive myths. The things that they are making up are destructive and they're doing it secretly, deceptively to trick you. And they're even denying the master, the master who bought them. Now the word master here in the Greek, it's actually a very powerful word. It it would be the word like despot. Um, It would be someone who is in major authority over another person. And it's a word that is rarely used of Jesus in the scriptures. And and here's what's going on. And this is incredible how Peter does this. There was a moment, Peter's with the other disciples. Uh, This is the last night of Jesus's life. And he says, he says, you know, y'all, I used to call you servants, but now I call you my friends. What an incredible thing that Jesus would refer to his followers as friends. It's incredible that God would would demonstrate that disposition towards us. But Peter wants us to know that even though God's doing that, he has every right to rule over you with a hard fist, right? First of all, he created you. He's more powerful than you. And then Jesus paid for your life with his own blood. God owns you. And here's the thing, even though he has every right to own you, what I love is that in the scriptures, he rarely portrays himself as that towards us. He's like, yes, I have every right to, yeah. And I could, I could force you, 
but that's not the way that I feel towards you. That's not the way I'm presenting myself towards you. But because these false teachers are denying Jesus, he said, you need to know what you're actually doing. Like, you maybe think this, this buddy, buddy, like no big deal what I'm doing. Like, it's not gonna affect me. He said, no, this is the master. This is the master you're denying. This is the one who created you. He's the one that is sustaining your life right now. He is holding your, your genetics together right now. He is holding your cells together right now. He is giving you breath right now. He is causing your brain synapses to fire right now. You're denying the master. And he bought you. He bought you. And then he transfers over here and you'll see how these are connected. And he said, many are going to follow their sensuality. Sensuality is something that you do in secret, right? It's something that is, that is hidden. It's a sexuality that you do behind closed doors. And he said, many are following their sensuality. And you can see how it's tied to their secrecy and their deception. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to trick people into um, serving them in that way. Trick people into following, falling into their trap so that they can manipulate them in that way. They are abusing people. And he says, because of them, the way is being blasphemed. The way, that was, a, that was um, a phrase that early Christians would use for the way of Jesus. They would call themselves followers of the way. Who are you? I'm a follower of the way. And he says, because of these destructive myths, the way is being blasphemed. The way is being tainted. It's being twisted. It's being corrupted. It's being displayed poorly. It's giving Jesus a bad name. It's giving the church a bad name. It's giving Christians a bad name. And he says, they want to exploit you. See, they deny the master because they want to be the master. Right? They want to rule over people. They want to be in charge of people because they can use people for their own gain, for their own desires, and they're doing it out of greed. And you see this big juxtaposition between the master who loves us, who out of his generosity paid for us, and these false teachers who want to exploit you out of their greed. And he says, but the end of all of this is destruction. The end is swift destruction. The end is condemnation and destruction. That's what's going on. In the, in the book of Romans 6.23, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And Peter says here, they are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought, I look at people who are living their lives in, you know, in contrast to God's way, in contrast to God's word, even people who call themselves Christians, and yet they seem like they're doing pretty great. They seem like they're wealthy. They seem like they're healthy. They seem like they've got, you know, a great following. Like, what's going on? And Peter says, no, no, no. They are currently bringing upon themselves swift destruction because the wages of sin is death. And the way this works out oftentimes is the way that Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, he talks about the wrath of God. And he says, here is the wrath of God. It's God saying, you want to go and do things your own way? 
I'm going to allow you to do them your own way. And you're going to experience the natural byproduct of your choices. Because sin does not lead to life. It leads to death. Sin does not lead to freedom. It leads to slavery. Sin does not lead to abundance. It leads to emptiness. And so God, in Romans chapter 1, he gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them over to their desires, to the choices that they wanted that were against him and and contrary to his ways, so that they could experience what sin does, where sin leads, how it corrupts, how it destroys. Peter says this, they are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. It is happening, even though they don't know it yet, it's happening. See, as we continue to give ourselves over to sin, we become enslaved to sin. And for any of you who have experienced this yourself or know people that have experienced an addiction, any level of addiction, you can begin to relate to that. Because what an addiction does is at some point you get to a place where you can't make the good choice. Right? You, your, your brain has been so wired in, in, in a way that you are pulled in the wrong way. Even when you're like, no, no, I don't want to. I don't want to engage in that. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to drink that. I, but I can't. I am powerless. This is what sin does to us. It is constantly corrupting us and controlling us and becoming our master as we give ourselves over to it. And Peter says, this is going on with the false teachers. They just might not know it yet. Oftentimes I can feel like the psalmist that says, God, how are the wicked flourishing? How how is this going on? And Peter says, no, 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 no. Their destruction is not idle. Their condemnation is not idle. God is going to enact justice. He will. And and over the next couple of weeks, we're really going to look at three major examples of how God did this in the Hebrew scriptures. And we're going to unpack this a lot. But Peter is speaking to this reality as he talks to this church that is experiencing the consequences of these false teachers and the ways that they have been pulled into their vortex of sin. These false teachers, they're like vampires. People that are so dead that they have to suck life from other people. And anyone who gets caught in their web, they manipulate, they use and they abuse to try and get something from them. And they leave a wake of destruction in their path. Now, one thing that Peter is doing is he's echoing what Jesus said. Peter was there in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was given the Beatitudes, he was there. He was there when he said some of the most shocking things like, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. And he was there when Jesus said this, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said, beware of false prophets. Beware, be on guard, right? They will bring in heresies that are corruptive, that will hurt you that will burden you with sin. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come and come to you in sheep's clothing, right? Secretly, just like Peter says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They have this appetite that is never quenched. Beware, you will recognize them by their fruit. I love what Eric said when he talked about uh, the secret service, who's a part of the treasury department. 
when they're learning how to detect counterfeits, they study the real thing. I had a buddy um, that worked for me 20 years ago. And I, I know you're like, you were old enough for people to work for you 20 years ago? I was, I was, yeah. He worked for me and he was applying for the Secret Service. So a Secret Service agent came to me uh, and, and interviewed me and I was so intimidated. At the time I was working uh, on a dock with boats and, you know, sailboats, canoes, like just, you know, kids were doing all kinds of fun stuff. And, and so I was there in just board shorts and, and without a t-shirt on and the most intimidating dude I've ever met in my entire life comes up to me and is grilling me and I was terrified and he was jacked out of his mind. I was like, can I put on a shirt I feel into? Secure around you, um, uh, but 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 my my buddy he did get to be a part of the secret service, and that is what they do, right? They 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 study the real thing, and here's what Peter's saying, right? You look at these false teachers, and what they bring is destructive. It's corruptive. It is going to burden you and suck you in to their vortex, and you're going to wind up destroyed. So what do we do? And Peter says, let me show you how to recognize them. It's just like Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And so he begins to unpack what is their fruit. Will you, will you, Daniel, will you show us the next slide? So what I did is off to the side, I put up some notes right here. What is the fruit of false grace that Peter is telling them to be aware of, to pay attention to? And there are four things here. First thing, they deny the master. Now, maybe not with their words. Maybe they say things like, Jesus is Lord. But in their lives, they don't submit themselves under his authority. They don't submit themselves under his teaching. Sure, Jesus said this, but I'm going to do this, right? I'm not going to submit myself. I'm going to put myself above his authority. They deny the master, maybe not with their words, but definitely with their lives. Secondly, they live in corrupt sensuality, in secret sensuality, bringing others into their vortex of sin. They're greedy. They're like ravenous wolves whose appetite is never quenched. They're greedy for gain, and they want to use and exploit people for their gain. And rather than the master who came down as a servant, who served and gave, they exploit people to get from them. They see people as objects that they can step on to get higher on the ladder. They see people as means to get more, means to get what they want. And Peter says, be careful. When you see these things, you're seeing a false teacher. When you see a life like this, that is the fruit of false teachings. Beware. Be careful. But what's the fruit of true grace? Show us that next slide, Daniel. Here's the fruit of true grace, right? If we just do the opposite, what we see is the people like Peter, like the other apostles who are bringing the truth, they acknowledge the master in their words, but also in their deeds, in their life. They live lives of purity, not perfect, but they are striving to live purely in the light. They are people who are generous with the resources God has given them to steward. They are people who serve others, who represent Jesus in the way that he wrapped a towel around his waist, got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. God up and said, you call me teacher and Lord, you are right because that's who I am. 
And if I, your teacher and Lord, have done this for you, you then go do this for one another. They are men and women who serve other people with their lives, with their gifts, with their talents, with their resources. See, these are people who are submitted to the master, people who you should listen to. And there are two major things that are left. We show us the, that last slide in blue here because it's related to the blue highlights that I did. False teachers are being dealt with and they will be dealt with. This is so important. Peter wants to make sure that these people in Galatia know they are not gonna get away with it. Even now things are happening, but in the future, God will ultimately bring justice. But as he says, and we'll look at this in a few weeks, he's just being patient because he's a God that is so loving towards humanity that he's patient even with people that we don't think he should be patient with. People like Moses who murdered a guy. People like David who had a buddy killed so he could steal his wife. People like Paul who imprisoned Christians and voted for them to be put to death. God is being patient, but ultimately there will be justice. And this part in red that I think is so important for us is this. False teachers pull others into their vortex of sin. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The teachings are not benign. The false teachings are dangerous. They will corrupt you. They will suck life from you. And ultimately, they will destroy you. I think oftentimes in the church, we say, oh, it's no big deal. Like, oh, it, it's, it's fine. It's not that big a deal. I don't need to worry about that. Peter says, don't you understand the people that are being pulled into this? They are not experiencing what Jesus came, lived, and died for them to have. Instead, they're experiencing the fruit of the snake, the thief. He's stealing life from them. He's killing them. He's destroying them. We cannot tolerate false teachings in our midst because it is not benign. It is a cancer that grows and destroys. And so many church communities have been corrupted by this. Uh, there was a town that I lived in at one point in my life. And there was this pastor who drove around this very expensive car and the license plate said tithe on it. Yeah. And, and it seems kind of like light and funny, but man, it's not. He, and I, I don't know his heart, but what it sounds like is he's trying to get people to give money so that he can get rich. And that is a dangerous false teaching that has brought so many people into its midst. Throughout our country, there are people that have subscribed to these kinds of things, making these, these, these people on television wealthy out of their poverty. And people are being pulled into it. False teaching is dangerous and we need to be aware. 
if it's people who are denying the master in their actions, if it's people who are living in secret sensuality, if it's people who are greedy, people who are exploiting others, we cannot allow that to exist in our churches because it's hurting people. Here's what I want to do. This is how I want us to respond. I want you to take a moment and I want you to just ask God, would you reveal to me right now if there are any false teachings that I have believed that maybe I don't even know that I've believed? Maybe with your mouth, you would say, no, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't think that. But perhaps maybe it's made its way into your life and you're living this way. I'm going to read a few things that, 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 that may apply and, and maybe God would reveal something completely different. But maybe you've, you've heard and you've begun to live the lie that more money will make me happy. That if I could just have a little more, I'll finally be content. The lie that if I date this person or marry this person, I won't be lonely anymore. The lie that if I get that job, I won't have to worry, I'll have security. The lie that if I behave this way, God will be pleased with me. Or if I stop misbehaving in that way, God won't be mad at me anymore. The lie that I wasn't healed because I didn't have enough faith. The lie that if I'm obedient, God will make me healthy and wealthy. The lie that the difficulties I'm experiencing are God's punishment because he's angry with me. The lie that God's priority is my happiness, not my maturity. The lie that says God is angry with me because of my sin or there are certain sin struggles that are unforgivable. The lie that says if I've had an abortion or if I experience same-sex attraction or if I wrestle with my gender identity, then God doesn't love me. Men and women, these are lies from false teachers. People who maybe were deceived themselves, but now are deceiving others because they deny the master with their lives. They're living in secret sensuality. They are greedy and they're exploiting other people. And what we don't understand is that these lies that have filtered into our minds and our hearts have begun to weigh us down. The actual sin itself, but then also the burden that comes from the shame afterwards. Take a moment, just ask God to reveal to you where, where have I succumbed to the false gospels, to the false teachings of this world? revealed us where we've been enslaved to these lies. Revealed to us where we think we might be living in truth, but we're actually living in these lies. God, revealed to us where we may have beliefs that are incorrect about you and your character. You and your story of good news. Reveal to us the lies that have enslaved us to trying to get your approval that we already have in Jesus. God, 
us the way. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said this, and it's so powerful. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my teachings, my way upon yourself and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And there, in my presence, you will find rest for your souls. Here's what I want you to do. As we listen to the band play and as we begin to respond in song, I want you to do this with your hands. Just go ahead and just put your hands out. You can put them on your lap if you want, but put your palms up. And I want you to imagine, if you will, whatever it was that God revealed to you. Whatever lie that you've begun to incorporate into your heart and your mind, whatever lie that you've begun to live by, even if you say it's wrong, but you've just been pulled in that direction, whatever it is, just picture it in your hands. And think about the burden that you've lived under, the guilt that you've lived under, the shame that you've lived under. And then whenever you're ready, whenever you're at a space where you see it, where you sense it and you feel it, I want you to turn your hands over and I want you to imagine dropping all of that into the loving arms of your father, your heavenly father, who says, that's not yours to carry. Let me carry that burden. My burden is light. Whatever is heavy, that's not yours. That's mine. And you may need to take a second because you might not be ready to actually drop it into his hands. But take your time and when you're ready, just release it into the hands of God the Father. And you may have to do this a couple times. In fact, you may have to do this daily for a while. And then after that, the third thing, when you're ready, turn your hands back over and just picture receiving the grace upon grace, the grace multiplied, the growing grace that God wants to pour out to you. His life, his freedom, the no condemnation, his beauty, his love, his delight, and just receive from the Father all that he wants to give you. And we'll do this together.